I mean, you just have to be patient with the whole hike and take what comes. You know, mm-hmm. you can plan all you want. Like, I'm going this many miles this day, this many miles that day. But you never know what might happen. You know, like I was saying, we weren't, my friend and I at that dirt road, we weren't planning on going to stay with that guy. We were going to do another five to ten miles. But you just have to be open to those situations when they come. Or in, like, reversely, like, you know, wanting to leave town while it's going, like, start snowing or something. So you're like, well, I guess we're going to take another zero day, which isn't that bad of a thing. You're listening to the Hiking Through Podcast. I'm Erin Egan, and this is the podcast where I talk to experienced thru-hikers about their adventures on the trail and strategies for successfully completing a thru-hike. Whether you know him as Tin Man or Deep Doug, Douglas Hurdle has hiked over 7,900 miles to complete his Triple Crown in 2017, and along the way discovered his passion for adventure photography. Having hiked both solo and in groups, during this episode he shared his perspective on the good and bad of both, and their impact on trail finances. You can find this episode at hiking-through.com, through spelled T-H-R-U, of course, where you'll find show notes, photos, and links for any gear mentioned in this podcast. You can also listen to us on Apple Podcast and all the other podcast places. Enjoy my conversation with Deep Doug. Hey, how's it going? It's going fantastic. How are you doing? Good, good. So uh, we we finally got technology to work for us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, sometimes it's, it's beneficial and sometimes it's harmful. But in the end, we got to work. That's good. Very true. I didn't realize because I was doing a little, you know, kind of research on you. Uh, and y- you, you were a triple crowner. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Finished that, finished that last year on the 29th of October, so it's coming up. So Very exciting. rapidly. Yeah, yeah. Now, did you do uh, southbound or northbound? So I did a mix of both. On the Appalachian Trail, I went northbound, and same on the PCT. But then last year on the CDT, I went southbound just because of timing, and the group I was starting with um, was going southbound. So... So on on the Continental Divide, you you sort of pre went with a group or with a f- trail family, so to speak. Yeah, definitely. Um, good majority of them were people that I hiked with on the PCT the year before, mm-hmm. and it was it was definitely beneficial because I think the whole rest of the time on the CDT, I met maybe three or four other hikers going in our same direction. Um, oh wow! So yeah. So it was good to start with a group. I mean, eventually, I feel like with any group of people that you spend that much time with, you're eventually going to get on each other's nerves a little bit. Um, yes. But, you know, just something you have to work through. I actually ended up having to leave that group, mainly because of financial reasons. Um, I was running out of money. I had to get to the end of the trail. Um, and they were spending too much time in town. So I did the last, like, 800 miles which was all of New Mexico and some of Colorado 
by myself and didn't see another hiker, <laughs> another through hiker, maybe a couple of day hikers, but not even many day hikers mm-hmm. the rest of the time. How was, so, so you actually have the, the perfect, or I should say you're the perfect person to ask this question of what's the difference between hiking with a group, hiking by yourself, trying to get everybody to, to agree to what they're doing on any given day versus the loneliness and, and safety, I guess, of, of being by yourself? Yeah, I would say um, the biggest difference is just like how quickly things get done. Like if you're by yourself, you know, you know what you want to do and you do it because you don't have to get someone else's like approval or suggestion mm-hmm. or anything like that. But it definitely is lonely, but lonely isn't necessarily like a bad thing. You can learn a lot from being lonely and become a stronger person. Um, you just don't want it to <laughs> become too dark of a place. <laughs> but in like, I think overall, I think being in group, in group anywhere from like two to however big you want is important for some of it because like sharing those experiences is what makes it like truly special. Like, you know, watching a sunset in New Mexico, it's like, oh, wow, this is awesome. But there's no one to share it with. Um, right. So it was a little bit of a downer. But like I said before, I had to like leave that group because I was running out of money um, because it's hard to leave town when you're in a group by mm-hmm. yourself. It's pretty easy, but I, I remember the last time that I hung out with that group. We were in Creek, Colorado, and like we were supposed to leave after we got some groceries, like after breakfast. And then they're like, "Oh, well, let's just get lunch." And then, "Oh, well, happy hours in like a couple hours. <laughs> well, let's get dinner." And then I was like, "No, okay, I'm just leaving. If you guys hike out, I'll see you in a couple of days." And never saw them again. So it was a little bit of a bummer, but you know, my main goal was to finish the trail and. That's what I did. I mean, I still really like those guys and right. would hike any time with them again, but I just needed to finish. Right. You you had your own personal mission that needed to needed to be done. Yeah, definitely. And that mission, so when I started the Appalachian Trail, I had no idea about the PCT or CBT. I hardly even knew about the AT that much. Uh, but then a few weeks in, like people were talking about like the other trails, and I was like, that is something I have to do. <laughs> So, like, a month into the AT, it was my goal to hike all three trails. Okay. Yeah. So, so what got you out onto the AT to begin with? Yeah, so I went to college for one year. It was a small school. I went there only really to play soccer. And then after the first season, I realized, one, I didn't like to coach or the school that much. And two, I probably wouldn't be playing professional soccer. So why waste my time? with that when I could be doing something else with it. So I was just going to transfer schools, but then I had no idea what I wanted to major in. So I thought it would be pointless to just transfer schools and go to school just for the heck of it. Um, so I always loved the outdoors, but I had gotten away from it because of soccer. Um, so I realized that I wanted to do something outside and did some Googling and stumbled upon the Appalachian Trail, and I've always knew of the AT. I just didn't realize how long it was or that people actually typed the whole thing. Mm -hmm. So that summer after a year of college, I decided that I would hike the Appalachian Trail. So I saved the money until the next spring and then headed down to Springer Mountain in April, early April, to find myself, I guess you could say. (laughs) 
And I, I mean, people say that, but I, you'll definitely figure some things out. I don't know if you'll find like your whole self, like on one trail, Mm -hmm. but I definitely knew after finishing that trail, I wanted to spend as much time as I could outside. So that next spring I um, transferred into Appalachian state where I got a degree in outdoor education. So it definitely helped me decide that I wanted to do that. In doing the Appalachian trail, you know, it helped you find certain things that you wanted. I think I was reading on your, your website. It also kind of got you into photography and that kind of stuff. Yeah, definitely. I realized that these moments were really like important and I wanted to document those moments somehow. On the AT, like all I would take pictures of were just like, Oh, that's a pretty view or look at that. But it's more of the people and that I like to take photos of now um, Mm. that I find important in those places. Right. Um, So I just wanted to, be better at doing that. So I actually minored in photography when I was at, at app as well. So, and now I'm trying to pursue photography somewhat as a career. Mm-hmm. So we'll see how that goes, but yeah. Well, your, your photographs are beautiful. So I would be surprised <laughs> if people aren't excited about it. Yeah. Uh, and I know it's you're... a really challenging field yeah. to get into because a lot of people are liking that route. So but yeah, and you're not keep doing in hard work. the the wedding portrait thing. Well, uh, I'm about to start. I'm going to be a second shooter for one of my friends um, at a wedding coming up, which I'm not completely against. Obviously, I would love mm-hmm. to just like do like adventure photography, but like I said, that's a hard one to break into. Mm-hmm. So if I do like a couple weddings or you know enough weddings to make a career out of it, and then when I'm not doing weddings, be able to travel and do what I want. And I would be okay with that as well. Which which sort of leads me to to sort of two questions, actually. One is, when you started the AT, did you just start by yourself? And the second question is, how do you finance or how do you support yourself to do these trails? I mean, because that's, that's especially a Triple Crown as as a serious commitment. Yeah, definitely. So financially, for the first one, I was lucky enough to have my parents just you know, help me through that, not to pay for it, but to let me live at home mm-hmm. and be able to work and save up money. And so I did that between dropping out of school and starting the AT. But before, between the AT and the PCT, I went to school for three years and graduated and was saving up because I always knew I wanted to do the PCT. I just didn't know when. So I was saving up. And then I took another year and worked to save up for that one. And I finally got to um, start. I actually had to push it back a year just because I didn't quite have enough money in the bank. And after every trail, I, (laughs) I've come back with close to nothing in my bank account, which isn't the greatest way, but you know, if it's a dream of yours, I think it's worth it. But that being said, another thing that I've come to realize after the AC, everyone's always like, Oh, I wish, I could do that. I wish I could do that. And I'm always like, well, just, you know, quit your job, just go. But now I'm realizing like, it's kind of hard to just quit a, like a good job or if you have a family, you just can't leave them. So I really realized how lucky I've been and how precious those experiences are. And that's why like hardly anyone has done all three trails. Yeah. No, Um, it's, what was the first question? I'm sorry. No, I I love you. The first question was, did you, the AT and I guess the PCT as well. Did you hike with a group or did you hike by yourself? Oh, yeah. But... So 
luckily I'd started the AT by myself, but, um, before even like hiking a mile, I met someone that was like close to my same age and we like looked at each other and we're like, Oh, we're both young. We should be friends. And we started <laughs> hiking together and stayed together for quite a while. Cause most of the people I found who do the trails are, you know, usually like either college, college graduates or someone mm-hmm. who just retired because it is hard to leave um, your job like we were talking about. Yeah. I, I love how it's, it's, it gets simplified on the trail. We're about the same age. We're about, we're accomplishing the same about things. Let's hook up and, and do this together. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, it's really like strips down like to just, I hate to say survival because it's not really survival, but yeah, you know, all the things that matter, like in like the real world, don't quite matter so much. Like you know, this guy's like, I don't know, stereotypical thing, and I'm not going to be friends with him. But like mm-hmm. out on the trail, like you're just two people walking and trying to make it somewhere. So this really just brings it down to the basics. Just right. we're just all humans trying to <laughs> uh, find our way. Which which means you meet interesting people that you wouldn't normally meet. Yeah, yeah. You're more open to talking to different people, um, I feel like. And yeah. it's just, it's a great place because, you know, walking down the street, you're not just going to stop someone. But if you're on the trail and you're stopped, you know, you just go and talk to that person because, you know, you both have that in common that you're on trail. True, true, true. And hiking for a while together, even if you don't hike for days on end together, it's it breaks up the monotony of it. Yeah, definitely. I would say most of the times, like even in groups, like you're not hiking like 24 seven together, at least in the groups mm-hmm. that I've been in, like usually for me, like the morning time is kind of like your alone time. You know, you get those morning miles done by yourself, but then like when the afternoon comes and like you're going to start to get tired, that's when it's really nice to have someone to talk to or, you know, just know that you're going through the same thing together. Right. How many miles would you generally do a day? Uh, well, it really, like on the AT, so the AT is the toughest when it comes to like terrain. Mm-hmm. It's super steep, um, super rocky and rooty. So I think my biggest day on the AT was like 26 miles. I think I would try to always do 20. Um, obviously, like, there's few out there that can do like crazy miles, but I would say most people on average, once you get your hiking legs, which take about a month or so, you know, or trying to do 20 miles a day, at least on the AT. Okay. Whereas out West, you can do a lot more miles. I think my longest day on the PCT was like 48 miles. And that was, wow. it was a big day for me. I hiked from like <laughs> before the sun was up and into the darkness, but yeah, so you can, you can do more miles easily out there. And not that it's easy to hike 30 miles in a day, but it's doable, I guess is what I'm saying. Yeah. Now, was that to get somewhere? Did you have to meet a deadline or was it just a challenge to yourself? Or Yeah, so um, in California, my parents were on a road trip out um, west, so they stopped and saw me. So I took a couple zero days, so I was trying to catch up to Got it. my trail family. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. Now, but on the CDT, there's more kind of bushwhacking and stuff like that. Like, what was your... Yeah, um, Bill can do decent miles. And... There is some bushwhacking, but it's really not as bad as people think it is. Or maybe I'm just used to, you know, trail life, so maybe I was just more used to it. I definitely want to suggest it for, like, a first one necessarily, but it's not as well marked. But with, like, technology, 
um, today. Like I never really felt lost or anything, even mm-hmm. though there necessarily wasn't a trail to follow. It's just like, oh, you're just supposed to walk in this direction. Did you were you using like the gut hook the gut hook app or were you using a, yeah, a beacon um, of sorts or like what were you? Yeah, so on the AT I used just uh, a guidebook because I think that was 2011, so there really wasn't like much. I don't think gut hooks was even around, um, and right. that's what everyone used. And then on the PCP, I used the half mile app, which is like the gut hooks, just a little um, a little simpler, okay. which worked perfectly fine. And then on the CVT, I used gut hooks because that was the only thing, and and it worked great. Like I was saying, I really felt lost. The only problems is like if your phone does die and you're only relying on that which <laughs> oh, a lot of us were which brings me to one story it was i was in colorado close to just outside of breckenridge but still up around ten thousand feet and it started snowing a little bit and i was like okay this is fine because i was on a dirt road which a lot of the not a lot some of the cdt is on just dirt road so it was easy to follow but then it started picking up and then it turned into a whiteout with like 50 mile per hour winds and mm-hmm. couldn't even like use my thumbs that much. And this was probably one of the scariest times of any of the trails. Like I knew I was supposed to get up to this peak and I made it up there, but then I couldn't see where I was supposed to go. And I could kind of see down and it looked like just like a super steep, like chalky, mm-hmm. just loose rock with snow. And I was freaking out. I was like, if I have to go down that way, I'm definitely going to die. So what I did was I just like hid behind some rocks out of the wind, um, was able to finally use my thumbs again. And I had service, so I was freaking out. So I <laughs> called her. I actually might have even uh, FaceTimed my mom. And I was like, Mom, I'm going to die. And luckily, she didn't freak out. She was able to calm me down. She was like, just calm down. And everything's going to be all right. And luckily... Like it passed in like another couple hours, but I just hunkered mm-hmm. down until I could see where I was supposed to go. Yeah, but it mom. was freezing cold. Yeah, yeah. If she would have freaked out too, it definitely wouldn't have been a good situation. I hear you, yeah. but but yeah, no. I, I well, that that sounds terrifying. Actually, <laughs> I I was just talking to uh, well, he online he's Cheesebeard Hikes. So Josh. T- oh yeah, yeah. We did most of the PCT together and we started the CDT together. Oh, wow. Very cool. And I actually knew each other from, we worked at an adventure summer camp together for a while. So we go way back. It's a very small world then. Yeah. But he was talking about Colorado and how, I mean, he, he hiked with the group, but he was saying that Colorado freak snowstorms and freezing cold temperatures. And it was, it was a close one. Yeah. Yeah. We, I remember, one pass we were up on together and it was, it wasn't quite as bad as that, but it was still freezing and snowing and windy. But we made it down and then finally found a flat place to set up camp so we could get in our sleeping bags and warm up. And that night, like, uh, it was rutting season. So like mating oh, season for mooses. Um, uh, so this huge moose, well, just from the town, we didn't get out of our tent, like just mm-hmm. start stomping around our tent and pie the other guy that was with Chief Beard and I just started yelling in the middle of the night. And like, I shot straight up and he was like, dog, there's a moose. And I started yelling at the moose. And it was scary because, um, you know, especially when you can't see what's going on outside and you just hear this 
huge animal just stomping around you. It was pretty, yeah. it's very frightening. How, how many encounters with animals did you end up having over the course of the three trails? Oh, geez. Um, <laughs> that many, a lot. huh? Uh, on the AT, I saw like 20 plus black bears, which was a oh, lot, wow. but they're not, I mean, I hate to say they're not bad, but like, you're not a grizzly bear. Like you can yell right. at them and they run away. That's not to say like go up and pet a black bear or anything like that, but mm-hmm. they're not that frightening. And then on the PCT, I think the worst thing was probably the rattlesnakes down in the desert. Saw quite a few of those. And then, yeah, I would say the moose were the worst on the CDT. Didn't see any grizzlies um, up north. Definitely saw signs. And that right. was frightening as well, just like knowing that there's like, a grizzly bear somewhere around and would always have like the bear spray ready to go um, mm-hmm. just in case. Did you see any like mountain lions, cougars, anything like that? No, no big cats, um, luckily. There was stories. Everyone had a story. Not everyone. A lot of people had stories of mountain lions at night. I believe some of them. Some of them, I think people were just kind of scared. Because um, night hiking, I don't know. At least for me, hiking at night, my I always like to start thinking of <laughs> scary thoughts and right. not What's good things. So like a little, yeah, a little chipmunk off in the distance sounds a lot bigger than it <laughs> actually is. Yeah. It's a comic horror movie waiting to happen. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> how did you, how how were the bugs, like the mosquitoes and the flies and the the gnats? Yeah, on all three trails, um, there's definitely at least like one bad section. Like on the PCP, for me, the worst was going through the Sierra. It's just like mosquitoes so bad. It's just like so thick in the sky, and like if you stop for a second, you would be swarmed. And as soon as you get to camp. You just set up your tent and dive in and don't come out until you're ready to hike in the morning. Mm-hmm. So that was pretty bad. And on the CDT up in Montana, we had the horse flies that were really mm-hmm. bothersome because even though they're not like as swarming as like a mosquito might be, it's just like one horse fly that just buzzes around your head like until you can finally like swat it away. But they're pretty smart, so it takes some time. It'll make you crazy. Yeah, they will drive you crazy for sure. We definitely went a little bit insane. Yeah. Did you use did you use like a a, a head hat net or deep yeah? Or like um, how do you? So I I carried a bug net and used a, a good amount on the PCT. I'm trying to think if I had one on the CDT. I don't think I did. And I carried deep, but I hardly used it because I just hate putting those chemicals on, but I had it in case it was really, really bad. Yeah, and I found that the natural stuff doesn't work well enough to carry. It might work a little, but, like, if it's bad, it's not going to help. So what did you, so you had a a net over your head to protect, like, head and and neck, but what about, like, arms, legs, that kind of thing? Like, on the trails out west, I would have, like, a long sleeve shirt, so that helped some, and just, like, swatting and hiking fast. (laughs) hopefully get away from them usually just you know they're in like the low areas where it's like wet so mm-hmm. just try to get out of there as quick as quickly as possible move quickly <laughs> yeah <laughs> move with intent. that's the bottom line um i also treated my clothing with i'm going to butcher this world word but permethrin or something like that and right. i think that worked pretty well did it oh, another bad off? one yeah, it wears off, like, after, like, five washes or something like okay. that. So, yeah. 
But for the beginning, it worked. I definitely recommend that for anyone like on the Appalachian Trail, especially like your socks and stuff, because the, the ticks are a lot worse on the AT than any of the other trails. Mm-hmm. And with Lyme's disease, like becoming yeah. worse than Common. it was in years past. Yeah. Yeah. What did you do for your feet? Like what, what was your shoe and, and sock and that kind of? Yeah. So, um, starting the AT, like, I, like I said, I didn't really know what I was doing. There really wasn't too many like videos or anything out or like blogs to read. So my pack weighed like 55 pounds or something like that. And I had like boots and everything, but luckily I didn't get any blisters too bad starting the trail, just a few here and there. Mm -hmm. But after like hiking a while and like talking to other people after those boots needed to be replaced, I switched to trail runners and that's what I used ever since. And as far as socks, like I prefer a really thin, almost like a running sock. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, I, I, that's just like my personal opinion. Um, I like how quickly they dry and you can just wash them out and they'll be dry overnight if you're out west. So that's really nice. Mm-hmm. Did you find them they don't last at all? As, I was going to say. Yeah, oh yeah, most definitely. Uh, any socks going to tear, but especially like the thin running socks. But that's why uh, Gantech is such a good sock because you just replace them after 500 miles and they're cool with that. Right. But do the, do you darn tough do those thin socks like you like? Yeah, they do. They do make thin okay. socks. I don't know if they would be happy with me, you know, hiking in them because they're meant for running, but yeah. <laughs> different strokes for different folks. Yeah. The PCT, I think, maybe the CT too, were the absolute worst for socks just because how fine, like, the dirt and dust is. Right. It just gets into your shoes so much and just tears up your socks. I started the PCT with, like, uh, gators, like the mm-hmm. Dirty Girl gators. Yeah. And they work pretty well. Um, I just got kind of tired of them, so sent them home. But You got tired of them because you took your shoes on and off a lot during the day, or just... Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Fat, and, you know, kind of got tired of the look. You know, you got to look good out there, too, so... <laughs> what about the whole hiker trash thing? Yeah. <laughs> I think there's different ways to be hiker trash. You just need like a Hawaiian shirt or something like that and some running shorts. Got it. You're good to go for the hiker trash. Yeah. It is kind of funny how much, like, I mean, it doesn't matter like what you look like, but it does to a lot of people. Yeah. You know, with their town clothes and everything like that. Like, and not that it, um, they're trying to make a statement, but it's just like your style still matters. I guess what I'm, if you care about your style at home, you're still going to care about your style, like, on trail. I hear you. I hear you. You don't just suddenly turn off your personality? Yeah, exactly. And I might go to, like, it might sound silly to a lot of people, but, like, I originally just bought my shoes based on the way they looked. And <laughs> they looked fine. So, yeah, I mean, whatever works, I guess. What? So what was the shoe that you ended up with on the AT? So on the PCT, oh, AT... I'm trying to think. They don't even make them anymore, I don't think. Okay. It was, uh... Yeah. Skipping to the PCT, then. What, what actually Yeah, PCT, now? I got a pair of New Balances. Um, they were, like, the 910s or something like that. Um, one of their trail running shoes, and they were, like, neon yellow. So I really liked that. <laughs> Brilliant. And I, yeah, I used those. I got, like, 
three pairs, three or four pairs of those the whole trail. I usually push my shoes and my socks a little bit farther than I should mm-hmm. to where the point where there's like huge holes in the side and like rocks just come in, just have to shake them out like the whole day. But that might be part of the hiker trash <laughs> thing, but also just saving money. I was going to say, is that about financial or? Yeah, financial. And also it's weird. There's like almost like a pride thing and just like, I put these holes in the shoe by like walking a thousand miles. Right. I think I got a thousand miles out of these shoes. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And then for the CDT, I switched it up. I was going to go with new balances again, but for some reason they always have to change their shoes like every year. So I ordered a pair and they just didn't work out. So I went to Nike and got a pair of Nike trail runners. Okay. Yeah. Oh, and another thing for feet, I love, I swear by super feet, the insert. insert. Mm-hmm. I think they really make a difference. Um, I can tell a difference in my knees and my back, which is a big deal. How are your feet? Are they normal, high arches, low arches, medium arches? I would say I have medium to high arches. Okay. So they give you um, that support. Yeah. Yeah. So obviously, like, if you're someone who have, has no arch, they're not going be the greatest for you Uh, Mm -hmm. but yeah did you find since you were putting the extra miles on your shoes did you end up with any issues with your feet that have been longer term yeah no um i i think i've been very fortunate the only injuries i've had on trail were just like sprained ankles Mm -hmm. Um, maybe a little bit of like achilles tendonitis or shin splints at the start but besides that i haven't had any problems. And I know some people who push their shoes a little bit too far have gotten like stress, stress fractures in their feet and have had to get off trail. So it's, it's not a good thing to do, but I've never had a problem. Right. Did you find your feet, uh, expanding like as you went along the trail or I know people say sometimes their feet grow like as much as the whole size, but I never did. Always stayed the same. Nice. You got lucky. Yeah. <laughs> For tent and sleeping, or like sleeping mat, uh, mm-hmm. sleeping bag, that kind of stuff. What? I'm I'm sure that it's evolved over the course of the Triple Crown. So yeah, most definitely. Like I was saying, like on the AT, my pack weighed like 50 pounds to start with, and a lot of that was. So there's like two weight ways you can like cut weight. One is by buying lighter equipment, but mm-hmm. the other is like learning what you can live without right? and just cutting it down. So I feel like between like the AT and the PCT, I bought like a bunch of new gear because it was like five years um, between the mm-hmm. two. And um, I thought like I knew everything. I was like, oh, I've already done one trail. So that trail, I got like the like gear and everything. But throughout the PCT, I really learned what I could live without. And so on the CT, I went like stoveless and, Hardly had like any extra clothes and everything like that. How did the stoveless thing work? Like, <laughs> <laughs> so I'm just envisioning it and, and wondering. Yeah, a lot of people like use like the Talenti jars um, to rehydrate their food, mm-hmm. but that just wasn't quite big enough for me. So I would use like a gallon Ziploc bag, and most almost every night I would have ramen for dinner between two and four packets of ramen. Um, some nights I would splurge and do couscous, but mm-hmm. really I would just get to camp. Both, 
um, ramen and couscous hydrate, rehydrate pretty quickly. So you didn't have to like middle of the day, start soaking your dinner, which some meals require that to do. Um, so I would just get to camp, dump my ramen in a bag, dump some water in there. And then like five minutes later, start eating. And the only time it somewhat bothered me was like when it was snowing in Colorado. Um, but I still almost rather, you know, just eat my dinner really fast and then like curl up in my sleeping bag and go to sleep. Right. So what, so what would have been, what would be a typical day for you meal wise? Meal wise. So breakfast, as much as I hate it, probably pop tarts just because they're cheap. They have a lot of calories. So pop tarts. And then once I'm really in hiker hunger, I'll probably have like two to three bars between breakfast and lunch. And then lunch really was like the main thing that would change between towns. I would like switch up a little bit anywhere from like bagels and cream cheese with like some kind of like hard salami or something like that. Mm-hmm. So it's like tuna wraps with like avocados. So that would be the main thing I would switch up. And then I would have a few more bars. And then like right before dinner, I would uh, eat like some kind of like energy chew, like the uh, honey stingers or pro bar energy chews. Right. And I could really tell a difference just with those like extra carbohydrates and everything like that to give me the energy to get through the day. And then for dinner, I would have ramen and usually like some kind of candy, usually like a Snickers for dessert. Um, my favorite way to hike though is to like eat dinner like around like five or six and then hike for another like hour or two. I just find that to be like the best time to like hike is peaceful. The sun setting, the light is really yeah. nice. Um, rather than getting to camp, I like, yeah, starting to cool off. Um, exactly. Did you find that you wanted to eat something again when you finally stopped or you were still good? Yeah, no. So usually, yeah, usually I would just save like my Snickers or whatever it was for uh, like when I actually got to the camp that night. That was your treat. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Did you essentially resupply through boxes, like somebody sending you boxes, or did you do most of your resupply from the towns and stores along the way? Yeah, so on the AT, it was like towns the whole way. TCT was a mix of both. And then, because some towns on TCT are so small that there's either like nothing to buy or it's like really expensive. Um, Right. More expensive than it should be, so it's just cheaper to send out boxes there. And did you know TV that ahead? Of, sorry, did you know that ahead of time so that you could resupply accordingly? Yeah, definitely. Um, okay. Yogi's a good guy for that, but also there's a lot of like websites out there that people have wrote blogs and other things about to help people out. Okay. Now say that again. What was the website or whatever that you said was good for that? Oh yeah. So Yogi's PCT uh, guide is a book. Okay. It's fairly expensive, but going there's a lot more than just like town guides. Going from the AT to the PTP, and I have never hiked like out west really before, so I was a little nervous about like what it would be like. So they went through like hiking in like the snow, like in the Sierras and all that kind of stuff. So just reading that like kind of helped calm my nerves a little bit. Nice, and then it also gave you the tips in terms of towns and. Mm-hmm. resupply, bouncing boxes, that kind of stuff. Yeah. So I, I would recommend that book to anyone who's like new to hiking or is kind of like unsure about the hike. Mm-hmm. But he also has one for the CDT. But at that point in time, like I was so like 
you know, secure with my abilities, so I didn't really need it. Right. Does you that kinda, make sense? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. You've, you've kind of dialed it in at that point. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Circling back to tense and sleeping, because sleeping is okay, really yeah. important uh, to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and uh, it should be. Like, if you don't get a good night's sleep, you're not going to be able to put in the mops the next day. So I started my book. I can't even remember. It was some Marmotent. Um, and I switched in Damascus, which is where Trail Days on the AT takes place, which is about 460 miles in. And the main reason I switched was because I was getting wet when it was raining, which on the PCC <laughs> isn't that big of a deal. I think it rained like 10 days or four months I was out there. Mm-hmm. But on the AT, it rains all of the time. So I yeah. switched to uh, a Henry Shire tarp tent, which they're really good. Just a small, you know, cottage industry company, mm-hmm. but pretty light set up with a trekking pole and everything. And use that the rest of the way on the AT. And as far as pad and sleeping bag goes, I used the Thermarest Neo Air on that trail. Okay. And that worked out well. And I actually used the Neo Air on the PCT. And on the PCT, it worked well, but. A lot, there's a lot of cowboy camping on the PCT, so a lot more needles and stuff. And I probably had to puncture, or I probably had to patch like five or six punctures um, that happened to my pad, which isn't a bummer if it's like the night that you're going into town, but if it's like the first night out of like a four day stretch, (laughs) it's a little bit of a pain to be sleeping on the ground. So the air pads definitely have their pros, um, but there's definitely some cons. Right, right. And I take it you didn't carry a patch. Well, I guess you didn't carry a patch kit with you, or it would be difficult to figure out what you needed to patch when you were in the middle of the wilderness. Yeah, yeah. So I always carried like some tenacious tape, which I found to be like the best thing to patch pads or like a jacket mm-hmm. or anything that gets a hole in it. But it's hard to find the hole when you're not in town. Like in town, you know, you fill up a bathtub, or if the hotel has a swimming pool, you just go there and then put your inflated pad and then you can see the bubbles actually coming out. But when you're like in the woods, it's kind of tough to do. There's ways to do it. Like I think like you can like get soapy water and like put it on your pad, but still it's like a little tough. Yeah. I would just use my backpack as like my sleeping pad the nights that I didn't have my pad to inflate. So got it. (laughs) Was able to sleep some, but definitely didn't have a good night. Yeah. No, I wouldn't imagine that would be a good night. Uh, did you have like a, a mat or something like that underneath your pad and still were getting or? Yeah. So I would use like um, just my ground cloth, um, not okay. like another sleep pad, not like a foam pad. Right. But, and I would use, I think I was using Tyvex at the time, but yeah, just like, you know, even if that might've like stopped the puncture, like maybe something got like blown onto the pad in the night or something like that. Yeah. yeah. And that's, like, the nice thing about foam pads. Like, if I could sleep on a foam pad, like, I like to sleep on my side, so mm-hmm. the foam pad doesn't work because my hip digs into the ground and it's too painful. But if I just slept on my back or something, I'd try to use a foam pad because then you got the durability and you can also get them to be lighter than, like, blow-up mattress. So, mm-hmm. but. Did you bring a pillow with you or...? No, I never, I never used the pillow. I would just use my jacket or okay. like my arm as a pillow. Um, a lot of people I hiked with did, but 
I I never had the need for it. Now I use a pillow sometimes, and it's like, oh man, I should have used this the whole time. It only weighs like an ounce or two ounces, and it's mm-hmm. kind of nice. <laughs> a little, a little luxury item. Yeah, yeah, and I think I think everyone needs some luxury item, but for me, like it's carrying like a heavy camera. So a lot of people would just use their iPhone, which nowadays iPhone takes amazing pictures but for me as a photographer i want that weight to go to my camera yeah how did you how did you latch your camera on or how did you rig it to your your gear your your pack and stuff yeah so the final way which is the way i do it now is i have like a little chest pouch that it fits in and then it has like two clips that just go to my shoulder straps and that works out really well because it's right there and like even if it rains, I can just like put it in a Ziploc and then like cover it with like it has like a pack cover almost for the mm-hmm. little bag, and then it's just always right there. Which I find like if your camera's put away, then you're not going to take a picture as yeah. much as if it's like right there. And then you're like, oh, I could take a picture of that. So like, you know, might as well. My camera's right here. So I took a lot more pictures on the CDT than I did on the PCT, just because I had it more accessible right and and when you're saying it's literally like one of those neoprene uh cases smaller cases whatever for the camera with Mm -hmm. with a couple of clips off that clip into your shoulder uh, harness yeah i used like really small carabiners and just clipped it right to my harness or my uh shoulder straps yeah nice 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 what kind of lens did you bring with you so i would carry a 35 on 1.8 lens and then i had like a 16 to 50 uh lens for so, my camera so small zoom and and then but basically you're you're looking at wide angle yeah yeah okay. and recently i just picked up a new lens which i love and it's an 85 um, millimeter and it just gives you know different perspective um and i've been carrying all three now and i have a new body so my camera my camera weight has definitely gone up exponentially mm-hmm. in the past year Right. Yeah. That's your other luxury item. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now, what pack were you using? Um, so I used the three packs I used was I started with on the AT with uh, Osprey Atmos. And it's a great pack. A lot of people use it. It was just heavy and too big for what I wanted. So I switched to a ULA circuit and um, that worked great and used it until it <laughs> couldn't be used anymore. Like the, the, I'm sorry, I'm blanking on the name, like the U-shaped thing to hold its frame. Um, started poking through the bottom, so I had to take that out. So at the end of the PCT, I had just a frameless pack, which I didn't intend to use, but it was fine. And then on the CDT, I used the Hyperlite mounting gear um, pack, and that was probably my favorite pack that I've ever used. So it was just super comfortable, and on the AT and PCT, I would have really bad shoulder pain, like pretty much mm-hmm. like the whole trail. And then oh, finally wow. on the CDT, I didn't have it most of the time. So I don't know if it was the pack or if I just was carrying less weight or what, but right. it definitely made a difference. And it's nice to have the pack be waterproof as well. Mm-hmm. So. Oh, definitely. It, I mean, yes, the, the garbage bag, bag inside is infamous, but having yeah. the extra layer... And yeah, and I definitely. guess I, sh- I should note at this moment that 
you do also have, I believe, a YouTube video online of your of your uh, CDT. Of my CDT gear. Yep, my CDT gear and everything I carried. Yeah, so if you want to check that out, it's not. I'm not the best at talking in front of a camera. I'm better behind the camera, but I thought <laughs> people might want to know what I carried. So yeah. Yeah, because I, if I remember correctly, that video is the post CDT as opposed to the pre CDT. So it's sort of like, this is what you're, this is what you carried evolved. Yeah. to. Yeah. The fine, the fine tune. Yeah. Pack. Um, so, so that's out there, which is fantastic. Actually, I, as you can tell, have watched it, which is where I come <laughs> up with another question for you uh, about umbrella. Oh yes. The umbrella. Um, I find the umbrella, like it's probably like one of my favorite pieces of gear. Just because, um, one, like I'm super pale. So in the desert, in the sun, um, it definitely, um, serves its purpose to keep me not as burnt. And also it just, it literally like makes it 10 degrees cooler underneath the umbrella, which is really nice. And then uh, that was the original reason why I bought it. But then up in Washington, when it did start raining, it was so nice to have just like, not be wet like even if you have like a rain jacket on that rain is still hitting you but yeah. to have this little like cone of dryness you know where you're like not getting wet except like your legs maybe it was super mm-hmm. nice and just like mentally a, a nice mental boost uh, definitely so you so you essentially carried it with you the entire time yeah yeah i did okay. and i carried it on the cdt as well um, the same one and it broke in the basin. Um, but luckily one of our friends were out there just visiting and he had an umbrella and he let me keep it for the rest of the trail, which is like out West, like there's no, like not many trees, like you're exposed like yeah. the whole time. So that umbrella is really handy. Now, was it, uh, this is going to be a, such a silly question, but I have to ask it. Was the umbrella just a standard old normal umbrella or was it a specialty umbrella that could then clip to your pack or? Yeah. So I want to say it's um, like a normal umbrella. It's like got the silver on the top to reflect the sun and it's meant for hiking. So it's a little bit lighter weight than like a normal umbrella. I tried to hook it to my pack, but I didn't like the way it worked. Um, Some people do that and really like it, but I just held it the whole time. Do you remember what it was called or what the name of it was? Yeah, so the company is like uh, Euroswarm or something like that. If you just like Google trekking umbrellas, okay, it would probably come up. I know, and then the one I got next was a Montbell umbrella, and that was really nice too. Okay. Yeah, I, I can certainly see the benefit of it, particularly in the desert where the sun is beating yeah. on you every day. <laughs> Yeah, it's nice. And that's, but, you know, a lot of people, um, we would, you know, wake up early, hike when it's cool, and then find like a shady place to take a break until the sun started going down. We would always joke about, there's there's the water reports for the PCT, but we'd rather have shade reports, like there'd be shade at this mile marker from such and such time to such and such time, just because that's how important it was to get out of mm-hmm. the sun. And And those were notes that were made by the different apps or books or, or whatever? Yeah, so I'm sure that um, people probably have made notes on gut hooks about where there could be shade, but the water report is something that the PCTA, I believe, puts out, mm-hmm. and they keep it pretty updated. 
just so you know that like if a source is dry or something not to count on it because if you're kind of on a source that's like 20 miles away and it's dry and the next one's not for another 15 miles it leaves you in a bad place yeah but what about the like the shade report oh no we were i we were just saying that we wish that was a thing Uh, got it (laughs) because it would be really handy yeah yes that would but how would somebody do it that is the question that's true. They would need a, a lot of time to like see every tree. Like, oh, there's shade here from this time to this time. Exactly. But, yeah. Huh. If you have your umbrella, though, there's shade everywhere. All the time, so. <laughs> you carry your shade with you. Exactly. Did you like resupplying and and bouncing boxes and stuff like that? Did you? I know we kind of talked about it on the food front, but did you have somebody at home that was sending you? resupply boxes and then bounce you were bouncing boxes forward as you went or yeah so i never i I never really did the bounce box thing but yeah i would have i would make boxes and then just have all my parents would send them out they were really supportive through all my hikes which i'm thankful for it takes a team it does it does and like and that brings me to like something else like talking about water and like the desert is like it would be nearly impossible without like the volunteers like providing the water caches mm-hmm. along the way because there would be some very long stretches if there wasn't those caches. Yeah. Would those be considered trail magic or trail angels or just? <laughs> so on the AT, there is a ridiculous amount of trail magic, like the kind where it's like a burger and like, you know, soda or like all that kind of stuff. But there's some of that on the PCT, but you start to consider those water caches trail magic just because it really is. Like, without that, you'd have, like, such a hard time. So it is magical. Right. And even on the CDT, I we probably got, like, maybe one or two, like, incidents. Or not incidents, like, occasions of uh, trail magic um, just because there's hardly anyone out there. Like, not mm-hmm. even just, like, hikers, just, like, the towns and populations are very small. Right. So, yeah. Well, and I imagine, like, the, the water caches that are in the desert on the PCT, like, somebody's got to move it out there. Yeah. And water is obviously no small weight. Yeah, usually they're near a dirt road of some sort, so mm-hmm. they usually drive them in. But, yeah, still filling up all those, like, gallons and gallons and gallons of water yeah. is no small feat. Uh, we are thankful to them, one and all. Most definitely. What was your What was your favorite experience with uh, like trail magic? It was probably on the trying to not overthink anything. Uh, it was probably on the Appalachian Trail up in New Hampshire. Me and uh, the guy I was hiking with, we were on a dirt road and we were just sitting there. And this guy comes up in a pickup truck, says, "Hey, how's it going?" We're like, you know, like you said, everyone, oh, it's good, even though it wasn't. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he was like, okay. And he walked into the woods. He was picking uh, some mushrooms, like morel mushrooms. And then 30, 40 minutes later, he comes out and we're still sitting there. And he's like, it's not going good, is it? He's like, <laughs> not really. He's like, why don't you come back with me? And, you know, and that's the thing about like trusting people. This guy could have been weird, but, you know, mm-hmm. luckily he wasn't. So he took us back to his house and he had like a huge blueberry patch. Like, spent the afternoon picking blueberries and took showers and him and his wife cooked us dinner. And then that night he took us out to like 
the local bar and we just had a good time there and then went back and crashed at his place and then he drove us to back to the trail in the morning. So I think that was like one of the best. Like mm-hmm. obviously you're grateful for all the people who set up at like the roads and cook burgers or hand out sodas, but just like, you know, he wasn't planning on doing that that day. Yeah. So I think it made it a little bit extra special. Yeah. And it probably caught you on a particularly bad day and, and it was just sort of exactly what you needed at that moment. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Definitely a pick me up. <laughs> yeah, I, I would imagine. Like what about like trail angels? Or do you kind of yeah, consider that all one thing? To a certain extent. Like I think that guy was a trail angel, but there are people mm-hmm. especially like not to say anything about the other trails just because there's less people, but on the AT, there's like Trail Angel Mary and like all these other people who have been doing it for years and years and years. Right. Um, so they're, they have like Trail Angel in front of their name. And there are some people like that on the PCC now that I'm thinking about it. The Andersons and then um, the Softleys, which are both in the desert, they open their homes to hikers to like set up tents in their backyards and like mm-hmm. take showers and do everything you need to there. And also on the PCT, there was this guy named Coppertone, and he just lived out of, like, a truck, and every, like, 100 miles or every, like, week, he would drive another 100 miles off the trail and have, like, you know, his big thing was root beer floats. So if you want a root beer float, you could go there and have a root beer float, which is nice on the desert when yeah. it's super hot. Yeah. It, it feels like there are there are people, like, who you're talking about who are sort of committed long-term to it. Um, mm-hmm. And then there is the random act of kindness that happens in the moment. Yeah, definitely. And well, for trail angels to me, I would say, but some are just, you know, do more often than others. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And even people giving rides, you know, hitchhiking, like that's such a nice act rather than walking the 20 miles in the town, you know, just getting like a five, 10 minute ride is super mm-hmm. nice or whatever it would be. How did you find hitchhiking? Like both the experience of hitchhiking and the availability of it. Yeah. Like I'd never had too much of a trouble um, getting a ride and never really ran into too many bad situations. I know they're out there and Mm -hmm. I've just been fortunate, but it's definitely better to do it in the group. I don't think I did it too many times by myself just because usually like, even if you weren't with those people in town, there's probably someone about to leave town if you're leaving in the morning or something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, what about getting from the trail to the town? Because I would assume that that would be, the rides would be scarcer. Uh, yeah, depending on like, I mean, on the AT, like you're so close to civilization, you know, there's so many people mm-hmm. that the roads are pretty well traveled, except like up in Maine, there is some, roads that were a little bit more difficult but usually like even on the other ones like pct and cbt you're on like a little bit of a major road you cross sometimes so it's not too bad there was one on the cbt it's just some random dirt road and we definitely didn't want to walk to town but we waited for like an hour and a half and not a single car drove by so i was like oh i guess we're walking and then finally, like, someone drove by and took some of us, and then there was two of us left, and we started walking, and then finally we were able to get another ride. 
So it's just it's just a game of patience, really. Right. Someone's going to come by. Which I, I think sort of lends itself to the whole experience of walking for five months anyway. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and, I mean, you just have to be patient with the whole hike and take what comes. You know, mm-hmm. you can plan all you want. Like, I'm going to keep this many miles this day and this many miles that day. But you never know what might happen. You know, like I was saying, we weren't, my friend and I at that dirt road, we weren't planning on going to stay with that guy. We were going to do another five to 10 miles, but you just have to be open to those situations when they come. Right. Or in like reversely, like, you know, wanting to leave town, but it's going like start snowing or something. So you're like, well, I guess we're going to take another zero day, which isn't that bad of a thing. Get to eat some good food and just lay around. Right. So basically for all of the OCD controlling people among us, you've got to let go a little. Yeah, it definitely teaches you to let go for sure and just take life as it comes. Yeah. Yeah. Now, you had, you had said earlier that, that on pretty much every one of your trails or each one of the trails, when you got home, your your bank account was pretty close to zero, which means that for all extents and purposes, you were pretty good at budgeting what it was going to cost. Uh, I, I guess. Um, I feel like at, at the beginning of the trail, it's like you're a little bit more um, lenient with your budget. Like, sure, let's get another round of drinks or something like that. And then towards the end, you're like, hmm, maybe I can't afford, you know, to uh, this extra burger or like even to eat out. I guess I'm mm-hmm. going to eat ramen even though I'm in town. Um, so okay, I would say it's not so much good at budgeting as good as good as pinching a penny or something like that, you right. know, necessity of whatever. Yeah. yeah. So, so how much were you budgeting for the trails in each case? Like just as an estimate, I would, I would say usually around like five for each okay. 5,000. I mean, you can spend, I think I was a little bit under that on the CDT because I didn't quite have as much time to save up for it. Mm-hmm. But you can do it for, you know, I would say you should at least have like 2000 um saved okay. up. Um, but you could also, there's like the retired people who are doing it, they drop like $10,000 easily on the trail. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's just like two different ways of doing it. Like they like right. spending time in hotels and like who doesn't, but they have the money to do it. So it's just, you have to know what your budget is and what you can um, do. Right. What your what your budget is and what your ex, what experience it is that you want to have. Yeah, definitely. Um, and plan accordingly. <laughs> yeah, because I I could imagine that you know you're out there, and you know you can you can spend another night in a nicer hotel or you can camp somewhere or as you said you can have ramen in town if you need to. Yeah, yeah. And that goes back to the whole group thing, like. If you want to save money, don't hike in a group. Because <laughs> that's like, I mean, that's when you're like spending another night in town or like. Right. And going to the bar. You know, not and... that, yeah, hanging out the bar. Exactly. Yeah, yeah I, I could see that. <laughs> and I mean, that's I mean, it's fun, you know, it's, mm-hmm. it's a good time. But yeah. if you don't have the money for it and you want to finish the trail, then you got to make other plans. Right. It, one of the or things. Or find I'd someone say... who's as broke as you are. So. <laughs> Well, it sounds like overall, like it, it's it's about you knowing what your parameters are, 
You know, how much money yeah. do you have? How much time do you have? What is the experience that you want to have on this trail, on this adventure? Yeah, exactly. And also, like, just what you want to get out of it, because mm-hmm. on the AT, there's this guy, um, I can't remember his trail name, but we were hiking together for a while, and we got close to halfway, and it wasn't like he was quitting because he ran out of money or was injured, but he reached, like, his goal, like, mentally on what he wanted to achieve being out there. So, I mean, it just really depends, like, what you want out of the hike. Obviously, like, everyone goes in with the idea of finishing, but mm-hmm. like I was saying, like, I joined into the AT, I didn't know what I wanted to do with my life, so, like, that was the goal, trying to figure that out, not so much finishing. I'm a very, like, um, goal-oriented per- person, so finishing definitely was <laughs> high up there, but there's right. other things to take away rather than just getting to the end. Yeah. Having done all three trails, I'm sure you met a, a, a great mix of people. Here's a, here's a question for you in that kind of in that vein, that mental, the mental game, shall we call it? Mm-hmm. People who were quitting versus people who were finishing. Was it about injury? Was it about they just couldn't take it anymore? Was it about they reached some presupposed goal in their head and and once they did that, it was it was done? Um, I, I I would say so. This might come out wrong, but like a lot of obviously some people quit because they're seriously hurt, but some mm-hmm. people turn like you know like an injury into a reason to get off the trail. Um, right. even though it's more of like a mental thing for them. Mm-hmm. And that's what a lot of people will tell you is this definitely a mental game more than a physical game. Cause you can push through, like, like I said, I had some really bad twisted ankles, but I wasn't I saw going some to pictures. stop me. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's some swollen and black and blue ones, but you know, and that's not to say like some people have really bad twisted ankles and stuff, but mm-hmm. If it's not, like, serious, like, someone who wants to quit will find a reason to quit, uh, if that makes sense. And then, like, saying it was, like, an injury doesn't look as bad. Like, when you get Mm -hmm. back home and it's like, oh, why did you get off trail? Well, I took my ankle, you know? Yeah. But I would say the the people who finish a lot, at least the people I've finished around, are usually pretty stubborn people. Mm -hmm. Or determined. I mean, which are the same thing, stubborn and determined, you know? There's positives and negatives to both, but just that determination really gets you through some tough times. Did you have any rules for yourself in terms of, I won't get off the trail until X happens, or or was it literally just, I'm going to finish this? No question, no clarification, it's just line in the sand. Yeah, Um. so... I had some low points and like I thought about quitting even though I knew I wouldn't quit and then the closest I came was on the PCT uh, starting the PCT day one I was like what the heck am I doing out here like I already walked 2,000 miles why am I <laughs> trying to prove that I can do this again but after a couple of days that went away but I even though there were people around me I was kind of alone on the PCT um, so like about 800 miles in, I was like, you know, I'm not having that great of time. Like I can just quit and like, I've never been to Europe. I'm just going to go to Spain or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but luckily I had 
just called up to Cheese Beard. And like I said, we, I knew him before, like that we worked at a camp. So I started hiking with him because he started a week before me on the PCT. Okay. I started hiking with the group that he was in and that really made a huge difference. And usually I would just be like, okay, well, I want to quit. Let's just make it to one more town. If I still want to quit, you know, we'll reconsider it. Yeah. So the the desire to quit wasn't so all-consuming that you couldn't, say, make it to the next town and be like, oh, I, I feel good right now. Let, like, let's try the next town. Yeah, exactly. Um, and usually, I mean, the only times I would think about quitting were when I was in town. So really just, like, getting out of town would be a big mental boost for me. Yeah, because town sunks you, sinks. Town yeah, sucks you, you in. in. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and that's where you're like, oh, man, showers are so nice. Hot food is, like, really nice. Beds are so nice. Yeah, you start thinking about all the things you miss uh, are missing at home. Yeah, I I can imagine. So it's sort of two questions in three parts, I guess, if you want to call it that. But best and worst time on each of the trails? On each of the trails. Um, On the AT, I definitely say... It was finishing, um, just because it was, like, a really special moment. Me and my two buddies, we hiked up, like, at midnight and, like, just watching the sunrise on Katahdin and, mm-hmm. like, seeing that sign, something that you had worked towards for, like, so long. Like, that was, like, the first time I really experienced something like that. I think the low on the AT was, which is strange because it's so crowded, but I had gone a few days without seeing any of my friends that I was hiking around and it was just really low and started getting like really sad. Um, and that was Mm -hmm. like the closest I came to quitting on the AT, but on the PCT, let's see. (laughs) Well, getting sick was pretty low. Like getting Giardia, I had Giardia and then a bunch of the guys I was hiking with, we all had norovirus at the same time. So that wasn't good. (laughs) Yeah. I think the high was probably, hmm, I don't think it was just one moment, but all of Washington. Washington's my favorite state that I hiked in. Definitely just, when it's not raining, <laughs> when it's raining yeah. and cold, I'll rather be in sunny California. But it's just like, I just love all the moments, just all the small moments, just hanging out with friends and laughing and, you know, just walking and talking with people about life or just about, like, small things that don't even matter. Right. I would say that was probably my favorite part on the PCT, just the people. On the CDT, I already told you the one part with, like, the snow on yeah. Colorado. That was pretty low. But there was also a part in the Wind River Range where there was a really steep, snowy icy section that like if you fell there wasn't enough snow to like stop yourself you would just hit rocks and then keep falling like another thousand feet or so so made it cross but then it was really scary having to watch like my other friends cross because i honestly thought that i might lose a friend in that moment so that was like another low but then also the high would probably be the wind river range and just experiencing that (laughs) because I remember as a boy, like looking through Backpacker magazine and seeing a picture of the Wind River Range and like having that at the top of my list of places I wanted to be and just finally 
like getting there was really special. You you made it happen. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, just like like I was saying, with the PCT, it's really just all the small moments, watching the sunrise and sunset with friends, and you know, just sharing those experiences. But I would definitely say also, I mean, the, it sounds bad always saying the finish, but the finish of this one was really special. Um, the AT was special because it was like my first one. The PCT, obviously, I was happy, but I knew there was like more because I wanted a triple crown, like. It wasn't the end. It was just, you know, being two-thirds of the way done. So having... It wasn't so much finishing the CDT as it was finishing the Triple Crown. It was really special. Now, have you gotten your award yet? Yeah, I haven't even uh, sent in for the CDT medal, let alone for the Triple Crown thing. I guess maybe I just, like, procrastinating on it because then it will just be, like, really over and (laughs) I don't want it to be done. I don't know. (laughs) That might be it or maybe... I just some lazy. Mm-hmm. We'll see. Now you were you're just saying the CDT medal. Tell me about that. This is the first time I've heard about these things. Okay, so on all the trails, like you get like we if you finish, you can like send in, and it's all on the honor system, mm-hmm. like a patch and like a little patch that says like on the AT it says like two thousand miler. Um, so you get okay. that on the AT, PCT, and CDT. But then there's the what is it? The uh, American Long Distance Hiking Society, something. And you send in that you've done all three, and they send you like a little plaque saying like Triple Crown or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So just you know, a little uh, award for your <laughs> endless miles of walking. That's what your your miles have have earned you. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, a little plaque. <laughs> Do you see yourself heading back? onto any of those trails again or or getting onto another trail that's of sort of a similar distance or or time frame? So I've thought about doing the AT again just because I wasn't into photography at the time that I did it. So I would mm-hmm. like to get like a complete photo set of each. Okay. Yeah. But if I did that, then I'd probably want to do the PCT again. (laughs) The PCT is the best of the three of them. And then if I did the PCT again, I would have to do the CDT. So I don't know if I want to fall down that hole. Um, But there are definitely other trails that I'm interested in hiking and in Mm -hmm. other countries as well. I would love to go explore. But there's more to hiking. There's more than just hiking that I want to do. I've recently got back into climbing and mountain biking. So I would like to do some long, like, bike packing trips, like maybe do the Colorado Trail, but on a bike, um, something like that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, because I don't know how much more my knees or back can take. <laughs> is is that your, your general problem area from all of the hiking is the knees and back? Yeah. Um, and it's tough because I'm also, like, in the running. So it's not mm-hmm. so good for marathons either. So I've been trying to find, like, new ways to, like, exercise rather than, like, on my legs, so like trying to pick up swimming or something like mm-hmm. that. Or biking, as you say. And Yeah, biking, yeah. Nice. Is there anything that you feel like we missed that just needs to be said about the trails or through hiking or? I'm trying to think. One thing is like, it's kind of funny, like hikers are, through hikers are a little bit too elitist for my liking. And like, once you get out there, you'll understand, but like, you know, everyone out 
out there is just trying to enjoy nature, but thru-hikers always think, like, oh, I'm walking, you know, for thousands of miles. <laughs> like, somehow I'm better than, like, a day hiker or someone getting out right. on a weekend. It's like, you don't know what their situation is, and they're just trying to get out here and, and love nature just like you are. Mm-hmm. So that's one thing I think thru-hikers could work on is just, like, you know, accepting everyone. and Respect their journeys as much as yours. Yeah, because honestly, like, no one really knows what anyone else is going through in life. And that's not just true, like, on trail, but just in real life. I think if everyone just would, like, take a step back and realize that person might be having a bad day, you know, Mm -hmm. and just cut them some slack if they, like, you know, weren't nice to you at the checkout or something like that. You have no idea what they're going through. So, yeah. yeah. Just be kind. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. sounds so simple but for some people it's pretty hard i guess <laughs> yeah most of the simple things are yeah and that brings it back to through hiking it is a simple thing but it is really hard i mean at the end of the day it's just walking yeah but it's it's definitely a challenge did you find yourself i mean to do all of that walking i mean you did 6000 7000 miles worth of hiking yeah just under eight, yeah. Did you hike with, uh, like, podcasts or music or that kind of oh, thing, or did you yeah. do a lot of... <laughs> Most definitely. Um, I would always... I would never listen to music or try to never listen to music for the first half of the day. Okay. But, I mean, like, honestly, like, yeah, it's beautiful, but it's boring walking day in and <laughs> day out. Like, I'm fine saying that. Mm-hmm. But it's fun to <clears throat> listen to podcasts. I learned a lot of things that I would have never known, you know, listening to podcasts and just jamming to some tunes. Um, yeah. What was your favorite podcast that you, that you were listening to? Uh, my favorite podcast is the Dirtbag Diaries. That's such a okay. good one. And it's just really like inspirational to like go do those other things. Like I was talking about, like, like climbing or like mm-hmm. snowboarding or mountain biking. Um, so it was cool to like hear about other outdoor pursuits while I was doing the hiking. Nice. Very cool. And it, inspired, it sounds like it inspired you for once you got off the trail, even. Yeah, yeah, just to keep going and always seeing what's next. And that brings me to, like, another thing. A lot of people, one of the things I did with my outdoor education classes, the app, was I had to do, like, a survey, and I did a survey through hikers, and a lot of people do get post-trail depression, and I completely understand yeah. why. But for me, I never really suffered from that because I always knew there was going to be another thing, like another great adventure. Um, so I didn't like dwell on it being over. Mm-hmm. Um, I just knew I would get back out there sooner than later. What about at the end of the CDT? Yeah, no, same. Like, um, like this summer, it wasn't a long trail. It was only like a hundred miles, but I did like the high country loop, which is just in North Carolina. It was like 150 miles and just doing that or small trips and planning mm-hmm. for bigger trips in the future. Yeah. So so basically, before you finish the trail you're on, already have the next goal, the next thing in mind. And Yeah. Yeah, it doesn't hurt to always be... I mean, you need to, you know, appreciate what you've done and, mm-hmm. you know, accept that. But it doesn't hurt to always be looking forward a little bit. Yeah. Well, I mean, they say the same thing about training for like a marathon. You know, you spend all this time and effort training and then running it. And then there is, there has been known to be a a post-marathon depression because all of a sudden you're sort of aimless. Yeah, yeah, exactly. 
so we're getting we're getting up to our 90 minutes so i'm gonna i'm gonna let you go but (laughs) before i do that and and before i thank you profusely for uh coming on and and talking with me um and and telling everybody about your experiences on the trail where can people find you oh um well, if they really want to find me, you can come to North Carolina. I'll go hiking <laughs> photos. But on Instagram, it's just Douglas Hurdle, and that's my uh, website as well, douglashurdle.com. Okay. And then I also just want to do a plug for you, um, which is that you have calendars that you do. Yes, I do. Um, and those can be found on my website. It's of the Continental Levi Trail, like probably 12 of my favorite photos um, along the trail. Um, so if you want to help support me, um, that's a great way of doing it. I hate just asking for money, like on Patreon or something. I'd rather give someone something in return. So, you know, start planning your next adventure, you know, you need a calendar to plan those out. So now are you doing a calendar? Cause I saw that you had a 2000, I think it's 2018 and 2019 calendars. Yeah. So the 2018 one was the PCT and 2019 the, CVT, and I am giving 10% of whatever I make back to the Continental Divide Trail Association um, just to help, you know, support the trail a little bit. So so basically, the theme of your calendars is sort of whatever adventure you've just most recently had. You're, yeah. You're doing it forward. Before. Yeah, exactly. Nice. I love it. Yeah. Well, so what are when are you... You said you're planning for a hike, right? So. Uh, yeah, my, my big thing is... Uh, 2020 for the PCT. Okay, awesome. Yeah, sounds like so, a good year to do it. Yeah, it's it's a big birthday year for me, so it's kind of all combined together into one thing. Nice. Yeah, and like another thing, like it's just like it is important to like know those things. But like I was saying, um, a lot of it comes from like just the experience as well and learning what you need and don't need. Right. Well, and and I, as I understand it from everybody at this point. Nothing that you bring with you from the beginning has to stay with you. And oh, yeah. because of Definitely the mail not. system and REI and Amazon and, and all of that, the opportunity to, to switch things out is there. Yeah, definitely. So nothing is forever. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Links for Douglas's gear can be found on our website at hiking-through.com. Special thanks to Douglas for sharing his stories from the trails and Maya Wynn for the use of the song Try Again. I would love to hear about your trail stories as well. Please email me at hikingthroughpodcast at gmail.com or you can also DM me on Instagram at hikingthroughpodcast. Please also take a moment and find us on your favorite podcast provider, and leave a review. We would love to hear from you. I'll see you on the trail.